Welcome to episode 36 by Fika with Rise. Today we're talking about something we've all seen recently, the rise of NFTs and digital currency. On this episode, we're sitting down with one of the experts. Today's guest is an American data analytics guru and marketing pro, one who is extremely passionate about educating people about this new world of money and assets. John Torres, the founder of StartWithNFTs.com, which is a website that rings true to its name. Well, here today about his journey of navigating the world of data, marketing, and now NFTs, as well as what we can expect from the world of digital change. This is John's story. Let's go. Hello, John. Welcome to Fika with Rice. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I've started to get into NFTs and I came across your blog, uh, startwithnfts.com, and I was like, wow, our audience would love to, to learn so much from you. You're a perfect guest to educate. Yeah myself and our audience about nft so thank you for being here with me you're an avid nft collector and a writer so i am no thank you so much i'm pumped i'm grateful humbled that you uh wanted to talk to me today fantastic i wanted to start this episode with some rapid fire questions uh, it has become a tradition that fika would rise and our guests uh, they love it and our audience yeah so it goes yeah. like this i i make a statement and then you'll finish the sentence does that make sense okay all right yep makes sense if I was 20 years old today, I would do... Start garage sailing okay. and buy LeBron James rookie cards. <laughs> Very good. When I grew up, my biggest dream was... Just to do things that I'm passionate about and not be afraid to pivot into new things. The most common mistake NFT collectors make is... Not understanding what they own and why they own it. That's a good one. The best advice I received from my parents when I was young was from my dad. For me, it's growing up career just to do what I wanted to do, what felt right to me. Following your heart, basically. Yeah. Yep. If I had $3,000 today, I would mint a V Friend series too. So I would buy book games by Gary V. I'd get a couple of those. Maybe I think they're at $1,000. Maybe grab one. Hope to get on the friends list and mint a V Friends series too. The biggest misconception about NFTs are that it's a scam. I wish I knew when I started to collect NFTs. To buy two copies of the NFTs that you have a lot of conviction behind. Okay, that's a good one. And my biggest hobby is. Oh boy, I got a lot of them. I think my biggest hobby is writing. I'm really passionate about writing NFTs, just different top sports cards, my own business, just like writing, telling stories. And my biggest fear is Oof. biggest fear is missed opportunity, you know, not taking fear enough action out. to live that fulfilling life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I did when I looked you up was like, okay, you're into marketing. How did you get into marketing? Yep. Yeah, so I went to the University of Vermont from 2007 to 2011. I can't believe I've been out of college for about 10 years now. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I came in as a business major. I switched to exercise science. Then I switched back to economics, which I loved and found a passion for. And I'll never forget, I wrote a paper, an econometrics paper, about the effects of alcohol and GPA. <clears throat> and what I learned is that the more students drank alcohol, the more classes they missed. And missed classes were strongly correlated with a lower GPA. And I just became so fascinated by the behaviors. And so in 2008, 2009, when the economy sucked, I worked as a bouncer overnight and worked for free as an intern at a social media startup. That's the first time I heard about Gary Vaynerchuk. But that was when 
you know, Facebook advertising was about getting likes to your business page. And we got into it. And I was so fascinated by the fact that it was a new field. You could become an expert if you put in the work. There weren't many people doing it. And it was thriving during rocky economic times. So this little company called Here Forward, I joined them full time after school. I loved every minute of it. Like it was the lowest salary that I've ever had, but I loved every minute. I was so happy. It was just so fun to build a business. And we sold that business to a company called dealer.com and they build websites and do advertising for car dealerships. And I came in and I did product readiness, which is like go to market stuff for advertising products. And I got to travel around the country. I got to meet with manufacturers like Volvo and Audi. I got to meet with dealership clients and just talk about how consumer behavior was changing coming from a perspective of understanding it. So I absolutely loved it. And then they got acquired twice. And we, I'm sure we'll get into this, but as you go through your career, you get punched in the mouth. Like it's going to happen. Now I was getting promoted every 18 months. It was an amazing, like such a great experience. And after the acquisitions, it started to go downhill really quickly. And I decided to use those skills that I learned from observing automotive and the behavioral shifts and, and marketing to start a business in home services where we now do revenue analytics so we connect consumer behavior on the website and conversion tools to the CRM to say, hey, if you're spending this much on advertising, here's what you're getting. We got the whole customer flow, but that's how I got into it. It was just kind of organic. I joined this little startup and, and loved every second of it. Where does sports cards come in in this picture, John? Yeah. So what happened is, you know, is at dealer.com. And like I said, I was getting promoted every 18 months. It was a rocket ship. It was the perfect environment. And I was in different departments. I worked in business development, product, market intelligence, go-to-market, you know, operations, like all the different things. And as I approached my 30th birthday, you know, I was coming up on five years of not being promoted, doing everything they asked me to do, but just kept moving the needle further and further. And I just got this sense that they didn't want me there. And I started to panic. I'm like, you know, what have I been doing for the past seven years of this business that I can take with me going forward besides the interactions and being kind and empathetic and bringing value to my coworkers and my clients. And I did, I started to freak out and I wanted more. Like there was always something in my gut that said, Hey, you're not on the right path. You have to adjust. And randomly I got back into Gary Vaynerchuk. I put on an ep a podcast episode of his and he was talking about garage sailing as a start today type experience. We can build business skills. Like you can literally start, right now. That was in March. It was still cold. I was in New England. So after maybe a month, I went to my first garage sale, made my first sale, fell in love with it, did it all summer. I made about $5,000. And then sports cards started to come up. So I'll never forget. I was walking through a mall. I saw a Carson Wentz autographed helmet. I'm a big Philadelphia Eagles fan. He almost won MVP in 2017, tore his ACL. And then his career has kind of gone downhill a little bit. But I remember seeing the helmet. I remember thinking, I should buy that because when the season starts, I think he's going to play well and I can flip it, but it's impractical because the helmet is big and bulky. So, you know, then Gary started to talk about sports cards, which I used to collect as a kid. And that's how I got back into it. And I'm a collector. I know a lot of people who say, you know, investing in sports cards has a negative connotation and it's a collectible. I think everybody does a bit of both, but I have a great little collection of mine, but then I ended up flipping and I made $40,000, which it helped me to build savings so I could quit my full-time job and start that business I talked about at home services. 
It's amazing. You know, I'm born and raised in Sweden and ice hockey is huge in Sweden. So when I grew up, I I was collecting ice hockey cards, the NHL cards, and that was a big deal. I know in the US basketball and and baseball cards are are very big. Let's say that I'm just a beginner. I want to get into sports cards. I have $500 in my pocket. What would you recommend me doing? How would I start? Well, it depends on your goals, right? Like are are your goals to collect? Like if you're somebody who says, I have $500 and I want to collect, what are you passionate about? Do you like soccer? Do you like football? Let's say basketball basketball. for the, for the sake of simplicity. And my goal is to, I would like to flip. I would like to to make some money from this. Yeah. First thing to do is your homework. And what that means is you might want to take 15 bucks a month to pay for card ladder. In fact, I think you should do that. I don't work with them, but I use their tool a lot. There's a lot of data, a lot of trends. So if you think about basketball, where we're at today, you know, the season's almost coming to a close. We have playoffs and championship coming up, you know, over the summer. So what I would do is I would look at some of the players who are on teams that are bound for the playoffs. And I would look at their prices and what you can afford. That's one of the most interesting bets that you can make because it is a gamble and you have to accept that. And it, I, I think the seasonality and timing, what happens in the off season, prices go down. What happens right before the season starts, prices usually go up and you can look at all the data and card ladder. So that's what I would do is I would look at who are the teams that are going to be in the playoffs. I would look at the Vegas odds of who's going to make it to the championship, what young players you know might have a shot at making an impact in the playoffs. I think John Morant, like, He's been taken off quite a bit. I think that might be priced in that he could potentially win a championship, but that's how I would go about it. I always say, look for rare stuff with $500. You might not be able to do that. So I think, you know, in those cases, base cards are tough. You want to look at the supply, a lot of factors there, but if you do your homework, you look at the data, you look at the sales data, look at what happened last year during playoffs and championship, find the teams that again are going to be in the playoffs with some young players And then as it gets closer to the playoffs, if those prices start to go up, sell. Because I think a lot of people get caught. They wait. They're like, well, maybe they will win a championship. And then they get injured and they're out for the playoffs. Then Duke goes down. So if you only have 500, you want to go quick because you want to be able to flip that. And then you have a little more capital and you can do it again and again and again. And then you can make some bigger moves. Would that work if I'm interested in soccer as well, for example? Use the same. Yeah. And that's so... Pattern recognition is really important. I find in business and life, it's a lot of fun. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. I think you have to get really good at studying. Now, soccer is a little different, right? Because there's multiple leagues. So there might not be as big of an off-season type thing. But we have the World Cup coming up this year. Um, so I'm a big fan of the, the Crypto Strikers NFT project, Wrapped uh, Crypto Strikers or Wrapped Strikers. Um, I think I have three or four. So this is not, don't go buy it because I have some. But Part of what I'm thinking is, you know, they they spiked pretty high. They went down. But I think you're going to get a lot of people talking about the World Cup. And I think if I'm soccer is a really good one because there's not a t- like I, that's not until the end of the year. So, again, you want to find players. Who, look at the odds. Look at the Vegas odds of, of who is good. What are the probabilities of the teams, you know, or what are the the betting lines for the teams that are going to win? Who are the players on that team? You know, strikers. Who's going to score the goal? Who's the headline going to be about? And go look at some of their cards. Now, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of cards out there. I try to find a, a rookie or a later year rare card. I think that's a nice strategy. I'll never forget. I bought a Baker Mayfield second year gold vinyl. There's only five copies of those. Oh, wow. And for maybe, I think it was like I bought it for 500 and then sold it for 900. And even though he's off the Browns now, but 
It was a second year card, but it was rare. So you can play with those strategies. I was woken up early this morning at like 6 a.m. So I was looking at, at uh, V Friends Zero Cool auctions ending in the morning because it's something ending at 7 a.m. Probably doesn't have a lot of attention. So you could find some deals there. Uh, another thing is if you, if you have, you know, a player in mind, say Christian Pulisic for soccer, look up misspellings of his name, you know, maybe with an E instead of an I, you might find a listing that's not getting a lot of love because the name was misspelled. So it takes a lot of work. It's a lot of detail, but there's certainly opportunities there. And when you say cards, like just so we're on the same page, we're speaking yep. about physical cards right now. Physical correct? cards. Yep. Yes. Yep. Okay. What are some brands that one could look up to? Because let's say I have the $500, but like what type of brands do, do I need to look for? Because I'm yeah. sure there's several card brands. Yeah. I mean, like products from Panini, like Prism, Select. I think the Soccer Immaculate collection is really nice. There's some national treasures. Again, I think you have to look at the data because each sport is a little bit different. Baseball, it's tops, you know, Bowman Chrome, right? You know, football contenders okay. is, is a decades old set that is really collectible. It's had a lot of history. National Treasures by Panini. It's a higher end premium set, but it's widely recognized as the modern premium product. Flawless, which is intended, I think, to be more premium, just doesn't hit the market the same way. Um, so I think most sports is going to be Panini Prism, Silver or Parallels. And you always want to look at the pops. I think soccer select field levels. Some of those are really great. National treasures is where you get the patch autographs. Immaculate is still like a premium set, but a little more affordable, you know? So I think those are the core ones is the select prism national treasures. So I remember when I was young to buy the cards, you would go down to the local store to buy yeah, them. Yeah. Where do one get these Panini silver or that you were saying, like, is that something that you order online and you get the, a box of random cards and then you just hope that you get the rare cards? I think eBay is the better. I think the secondary market is a better strategy. Now, like a okay. lot of people, you know, look, if, if you have money, you can afford to lose. I did this two years ago. This was during COVID. I'm a big Eagles fan. And I remember they drafted Miles Sanders, my favorite Eagle. He came out of Penn State. I saw him play live. I got a nice, you know, little collection of Miles Sanders. And I bought into breaks of national treasures. It was, it was a case. It was four boxes and I, I would buy the Eagles. So I would get any player card from the Eagles and just about every break. I got a card. I actually netted positive on those if I wanted to sell my cards, but I just wanted to get Miles Sanders cards before they hit the secondary. That's not the best strategy because you you can end up losing a lot of money. It's pure gambling. The better thing to do in my opinion is to wait for secondary. Don't be the first person to buy a card. If you use card ladder and you look at the data, you know, most times that that silver or, you know, something else that's maybe not a one of one is going to sell for the absolute most when it hits the market because the supply is not there yet. Look at V Friends Zero Cool. Same thing happened. The very first wave of card purchases on eBay were really high. And now they started to come back down because the supply is there. So boxes went up to $15,000. They've since come down to about 10. And now for someone who has that $500, if you waited those two weeks, there's a lot of cards that you can get from zero cool. There's a lot of basketball cards. So my advice would be, you know, unless you, if you're willing to lose the money and want it for entertainment, go for it. If you only have $500 and you're really trying to turn that into something else, be patient, wait for cards to hit the secondary, get a feel for how much they're selling for look arbitrage across platforms like Mercari, my slabs, eBay to see if you can find 
a good deal to get that card. You mentioned um, V Friends Silver Cool. What's what's that for those that are listening and don't have yeah. like no clue what was that about? Yeah, for sure. So for those that are listening, um, Gary Vaynerchuk is a serial entrepreneur, but one of the one of the nuanced differences about him is that over the past decade plus, almost two decades now, he spent a lot of time interacting with his fans. And he and he does he's one of the best in the world at being able to provide practical inspirational advice in a two-minute phone call. He used to do a weekly show, Ask Gary V. That's when I first talked to him, where you could text in questions and he'd call you. I, I don't know any other, I mean, he's celebrity status, right? Like he has interviewed Mila Kunis. Like he, I mean, he's up there and he's on the cover of um, Entrepreneur Magazine. Like he's famous, you know, to some degree. But the fact that he will resp- reply to tweets, he will, uh, you know, he did, I did tea with Gary V. That set off my little writing career where he would interview people. So if you haven't looked him up, you haven't heard of him, I would I would recommend you go, you know, check out his content. And I'm not saying you have to do everything he says, just find the things that align with you and make you happy. And he's the reason I got into garage sales, as I mentioned. So he started an NFT project last May called VFriends. And it's different characters that he hand drew and they represent the traits that mean the most to him in life. And reading between the lines with him, I mean, he just came out with a book called 12 and a half, um, the emotional ingredients you need for business and success in life. I think is the title. I read that. I think that he is very successful and has a different approach where he likes kindness, empathy, patience, and he's trying to show people those values in, in a practical way to help them lead better lives. So he started this NFT project. Uh, like we were talking about the mint prices between two and $4,000. It's since exploded. I think the floor price, minimum price is $40,000 on those and as the NFT market has expanded. And he's done a lot of different things. But he did a collaboration with Fanatics, which is a card uh, trading card company. They're much more than that, but they're getting into trading cards. They have acquired Panini and Tops. They have acquired the licensing to basketball, baseball, and football over the next several years, which is unheard of. I mean, that is monumental that the t- like literally the tectonic shift in the card market of fanatics is the major, major player. And they released a sub brand called zero cool, which is meant to produce non-sports cards. So the example they use was euphoria. What if we wanted to have a trading card set for euphoria, but it's a premium set it's collectible. So that's what zero cool is. It's a sub brand of fanatics. This is the first NFT inspired trading card product. First blind Dutch auction, I think that Fanatics has done the very first set from Fanatics, from Fanatics, which is important in, in collecting. They did a blind Dutch auction where people made their bids for boxes. You couldn't see what other people bid. It ended up being $2,150 for a pack of 10 cards. I did all the math on the checklist. Every box has at least one, uh, one of one. And we've actually been tracking in a spreadsheet all the different breaks. Over 100 boxes have been opened. You know, I think it's four hand-drawn sketch cards. So Gary actually drew new characters on the physical card. There's autographs. There's different one-of-ones. And it was really hyped up and exciting for people who, who like me, who like NFTs and sports cards. So that's a set that depicts the characters from the NFTs. There's autographs, different rarity levels, and it's on a premium card stock. And it's been a lot of fun to watch the breaks and people flip them and sell them and things like that. So you were saying that you were waking up early this morning to try to look on the secondary market, yep. essentially for these zero cool cards. Let's yeah. say again, let's go back to the example. I'm just like a random guy now. I have 
Yep. What should I be looking for? Let's say I want to specialize and maybe get a few of these zero cool cards. Yeah. Um, so what I would think about now, again, it's all about research and this is where I think people get tripped up. I would get into the V friends discord and there's a Gary V message tracker and there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to digest there, but I would try to figure out what characters has Gary said like, Hey, I, I, this is a big character. We already know the, uh, empathy elephant is a big character. We already know gratitude grows a big character, but yesterday on one of Gary's spaces, he mentioned that the capable caterpillar was originally going to be the mascot for V friends. And I don't think a lot of people know that. I don't think it's stuck with a lot of people. So if I'm you and I have $500, what I'm going to be looking for over the next month is a capable caterpillar, caterpillar core card. See where it ends up. I, I have a feeling based on where cores are, they've been kind of declining in price. You might be able to find something for under 500. And if you're really good and it's hard, like you probably want to get it graded, but it's tough. It's a new set. The centering's off, things like that, you know, but that's what I would look to do. And it, it depends. Are you, are you trying to hold it? Look for a quick flip, things like that. Um, but I, I think that getting it now, because there's going to be V friends series two, there's gonna be a lot of hype and excitement about that in April. Um, there's some big sales on eBay. Now the Gary B diamond PSA 10 is over $10,000. So I think now's a good time. I don't, I haven't seen any capable, capable caterpillars, but you get the idea of, are there some characters in here that Gary has said, based on your research, Hey, these are important or the, he's mentioned them that maybe not everybody is aware of and somebody's just trying to, to sell their core for, for cheap. I see. You said graded, like, like, what does that mean? Like, okay, I got my $500. I'm looking for this Caterpillar card. Should I be looking for a graded card? What does that mean if it's graded or not? Yeah. So, so PSA, BGS, there's companies out there that will, will look at your card and they will assign it a grade based on its condition. And what that helps a collector know is, hey, what, what kind of shape is this in? It's, it's a way, it's uniformity for the authenticity of a card and, and the condition. So a lot of collectors want a PSA 10. And so for PSA, it's, it's one through 10. You can have some pluses and minuses, but just to keep it simple, most people want PSA 10s, right or wrong. There's a whole faction of sports cards that say, that's crazy, get a PSA 9 because they basically look the same. And if you don't collect cards, you're probably thinking the same thing. Why wouldn't I get an eight, a seven? Because it's a lot, lot cheaper. Like, why eBay. should I get a 10? Is there bigger upside, John? Or Historically, historically, collectors will pay more for a PSA 10. I see. It's psychological, right? It's just something that's in mint condition. People like things that are in mint condition when they collect. It's like the original. It hasn't been tarnished. And they're rare. I mean, the Gary B. Diamond, one of one. That is a PSA 10. That may be the only PSA 10 of a Gary V rare card uh, or, or one of one card because the cut, like the centering is off. And when I say centering, it means the image is a little bit off, which when you're looking at a card and you notice it, it is something that says, Ugh. I mean, look, think about factory defects, right? Yes. You know, Lake Champlain chocolates. When I lived in Burlington, I used to go there and I used to buy the factory defects because they were like 50% off. Same chocolate. Still tasted really good, but the logo would be miscentered or the packaging yes. was a little bit off and they wouldn't sell them because people would look at that and say, I just I'd rather have the, the perfectly packaged one or clothing. Like what if I had like what if the logo on my on my jacket was like a little messed up, you know, so it's a little I think that's a, that's similar psychology. So I think 
you know, in some cases, people are going to overpay. Like not a lot of these cards have been graded yet. My bet is that the gem rate, the rate at which those cards grade at 10 is going to be between 30 and 40%. If it ends up being higher than the upside for PSA 10s isn't as high. If it ends up being lower than the upside is. So at the end of the day, there's no right answer. You're going to have to make decisions and you're going to have to make them with unknown information. But your best bet is probably to buy a raw card because it can be expensive to grade and can take a long time and just wait it out and wait for that series two to come out. And, you know, as people talk more about it and, you know, I, I think that, or you can shop it around. Like if it's only one card, right. If only one capable caterpillar shows up and you buy it, like get on Twitter and say, Hey, I, you know, I just got this looking to sell. Not many have popped up yet like that. I think that's a good strategy. Did you say that if, if, if I understood correctly, is it better to buy a graded card or buy it raw and then grade it yourself or just keep it raw? It's highly contextual. Problem with buying raw cards on eBay is that they can be very easily damaged. And I've seen a lot of people open these zero cool cards who don't have sports card experience and okay. they put the cards at risk. And this set in particular, it's a premium set, premium card stock. So the, the risk of damage is higher. So you are gambling. Like if you didn't pull the card yourself, you were gambling on zero cool produced it in a high quality manner, which they did, but I'm just talking about centering and chipping and things in corners you are trusting that the person handling it packages it properly, all those things. Then you have to properly send it to PSA. So yeah. in my opinion, if you want a graded card, just buy it graded. If you're afraid of the grading and you're not sure, and not a lot of them are graded, just buy raw. So I think that's contextual, but I think for right now, if you have $500, my opinion is I would just try to buy it raw and I would look for those characters that might be like underappreciated based on asymmetrical information. Just to go back about the $500, which is a lot of money uh, it is, for a lot absolutely. of people, you know, for us too. Yeah. Am I looking at one card or is it two cards? I mean, I understand that's a market price, but more or less. I mean, if you're looking at VFriend Zero Cool, you're probably going to be able to afford one card. If you only have five, here's the thing though. If you had $500 and you're coming to me and you're saying, listen, I, I want to build a base of money so I can be a little more aggressive in the flipping. Like I would say, don't buy any cards. I would say you should go to a garage sale or you should look on Facebook marketplace for arbitrage opportunities for things to sell on eBay. Okay. I would look at for things around your home. I mean, I used to, I sold old iPods books. Like you probably have $500 worth of stuff, even if you don't realize it right now. And I know that Gary's probably said that exact same line, but that was very true for me. I took that advice and I literally sold the stuff that I had that I wasn't using and it ended up being like a thousand dollars. And I had a thousand to say, okay, I'm going to go to garage sales and turn that to five. Then I, then now I've got five to do sports cards. So I could buy a few zero cool. I could take a bigger bet. Yes. Um, that would be my advice. Like start there first. Man, like you sold some iPods. Old iPods. Yeah. Yep. And it, look, here's <laughs> who the, would buy an iPod today. Exactly. So here's the thing is like, we like to think, that we're smarter than the market. Like we like think, well, if I think I would never buy that, no one's going to want to buy that. But you don't okay. find out until you list it. So what I learned is with the old iPods, the number one thing is that you have to make sure the battery works. You have yes. to put that in your listing. Otherwise, nobody's going to bid on it. And, that, and this is why eBay teaches you about business because you have to get into the details because you're doing everything yourself. So what I learned is that with the older iPod models, you had to turn it on, make sure the battery worked. You had to test it and say in the listing, battery life test it. I had two old iPods I sold. I sold a couple of my friends. I probably sold five or six old iPods, $70, $80. And I think they're, you know, look, there's probably people who don't want to, maybe they don't want to bring their phone to the gym 
or they leave it in a locker and they just want the iPod because it's easier. I don't know. You can put it on your arm, whatever. But that's what I learned is like, wow, there's, there's a market. That's amazing, John. How did that lead you into NFTs? And I know you, you mentioned NFTs. What's an NFT? Can you, can you explain it to me like I'm a 12 year old? Let's start with this. NFT is non-fungible token. It is just a certificate of ownership. It's like you have a toy in you know, your sandbox in kindergarten and it has a little code that's attached to your phone and the toy only turns on when you have that code on your phone. That might even be too advanced for, I guess not kindergarten, we're talking 12 year olds, but regardless, it, it's a way for you to own something that's, that's digital. And that can be combined with physical. And there's a lot of applications. I think the easiest way to understand it is an NFT can be a concert ticket. It can be verification that you own that ticket and you can get into that concert. Someone might say, well, why would anybody use an NFT as a concert ticket? Like we already have QR codes. Well, guess what? The artist or the venue issuing those tickets can collect royalties on the secondary tertiary markets. So they can set in the contract and say, every time this ticket is sold, we get 10%. So if I buy it and then I flip it up to you, they're going to get 10% of that. And then okay. you flip it up to somebody else, they get 10%. Yeah. And that happens a lot. It happens, it happens a lot a right lot. now. Look at the sports cart. Look at look at zero cool carts. Okay, yeah. People are buying boxes, right? They got as high as 15,000. 13,000 fanatics doesn't get any of that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So okay, so there's a huge upside for like artists like I don't know, Red Hot Chili Peppers who've been missing out for the last 30 years on the secondary market. Right yeah. now they could issue NFTs and they could be making much more. It could That's be making saying more, yeah, right? Okay. And, but think about artists too, right? I don't, I don't want to forget about artists, digital artists. It gives them a way to authenticate their work and, and sell it to people. So Curio Cards is one of my absolute favorite NFT projects. 2017, I interviewed the team. I have lengthy interviews uh, and, and articles on startwithnfts.com. I own one Apple. I want to buy more, so please don't buy it just because I have it. But their whole mission in 2017 was to use NFT technology to allow digital artists to get paid for the work. And again, people might say, well, why don't you go sell prints at the flea market? It's like, well, that audience is real small. I want to be able to reach the world. I want anybody in the world who wants to buy something from me authenticated where I can show it off online, where there's a lot more eyeballs on Twitter than in your parking lot. That's legitimately why some people are saying, I'd rather have a board API club asset over like a Lamborghini. And you're gonna have people on both sides. Guess what, it doesn't matter. If they want that, they want that. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. They're not hurting anybody. And digital assets are something that the Twitter blue check mark, the Instagram blue check mark, that's valuable, right? It's valuable. I agree people with you, John. Yep. So I lived in Shanghai for four years. And yeah, wow. um, back in 2000, what was it, 14 or something, I started to learn that there were people paying like ten, twenty thousand dollars to have like a virtual Ferrari in in the game they were playing just just yep. to show off that they had this like online, you know. So I guess yep. that was like the the early days of like the virtual world, so to speak. I mean, a hundred percent. And like, this is the thing if you really think about it. Like people would say, well, you can't, you can't. Like a car has utility. You can take you to work. You can pack it up. Like there's utility. Like if you're getting a sedan, does buying an Audi versus buying a, like a, a Honda or a Hyundai, like is there that much difference in utility? No, 
why are you buying the Audi? It's like you feel good in it and you, you feel good what other people are thinking. And I think you could see like and everybody wonders, like, where's this money come from? Well, a there's a lot of people who bought Ethereum at fifteen dollars. It just made a ton of it and it goes into the system and that will teeter off. But I mean, this might sound crazy, but like there's probably going to be people who I know somebody who tweeted about this. They sold their truck. They downgraded their car. They used the profits to buy a V-Friend. Oh, wow. And how much does a V-Friend cost for, for those that are listening? Or how much did they pay? $40,000. Yeah. Oh, my like God. They sold, like, they downgraded their life to invest $40,000 in one V-Friend. So, at, at that time, I don't, I don't think the floor was that high. I think it was probably fifteen or 16000 at the time. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, some of the numbers are crazy. I do think... The NFT market will have a crash. It's, I mean, it's a net, like, look at the dot-com bubble. I wrote an article about that. You probably saw that. Look at the sports car crash. I mean, look at all these things. Like, there's going to be a time where there's a narrative out there that says NFTs crashed. It was a scam, blah, blah, blah. But what's going to happen is you're going to see projects emerge on the other side, probably with more infrastructure and more utility and things like that. And they're going to be huge. I mean, and, and I think, you know, VFriends is probably going to be one of them. Again, the numbers are crazy. It's at 40K. Maybe the whole market crashes and it comes down to a thousand. But, you know, I think there's a lot of people who believe in Gary and what he's doing that like those would get scooped up if they ever came that low. And think about the audience real fast. I just want to comment on this because people are like, oh my gosh, think about the audience that, that he caters to people like me who are like, I want more. I want to do more. I start garage selling. I do this. I do sports cards. Like he's virtually and at scale, putting people on to different things. And those who listen and execute, I didn't mint a VFriend because I needed the money for my business. And it's a motivation for me to be able to meet with Gary in the future and say, I made the right choice because I grew my business. But he's got a lot of people who are starting businesses doing well, who can afford to pay that money. So I think a lot of people are like, where does that money come from? I think it's because his audience is following his advice and they're doing well from it. That's amazing. I know in my early days of Absolute Internship, the company that I own, I read this book. And one of the advices that I did follow was tweet everyone. Yeah. So like we didn't have a marketing budget. So I was just talking to people. And that was one of the, the ways you. we got customers. So good for you. So Okay, second scenario, John, let's say I want to get into NFTs. I want to do yeah. my homework. I obviously I go to start with nfts.com, which is an amazing yeah. blog, John. Yeah. But yeah, where else could I do my 20, 30 hours of homework? I would definitely get Discord. You know, what I would do is I would get into the Curio Cards Discord because it's been quiet lately, but there's a lot of OGs in there who have been around for a long time and you can ask questions, you can make friends, build relationships. I think following, you know, you can follow people on Twitter with .eth names. But you have to think for yourself. I mean, that's like probably the article I would start with is how not to lose money with NFTs. That's on startwithnfts.com, which just goes through some steps of like, don't spend money you can't afford to lose. Know what you own and why you own it. You know, there's just a lot of advice in there I think is really useful. I think, you know, reading a lot of articles, getting into Discord, joining Twitter spaces. Like I've spent hours listening to Twitter spaces, just listening to people talk, reading tweets, just to get a feel for the market, just to get a pulse. And it can suck you in and you can get really addicted to trying to flip, flip, flip and have that big sale. I think those moments are over largely where you're going to have a project that's a $200 mint like Board API Club that goes to a $350,000 floor. I think you have to be really smart about creators. I think you have to be patient. Like for me, my like I was trying to flip, like after, you know, so I had to put money into my business 
Then we stabilized it. Then it went full time. And I'm like, okay, we're, we have a good foundation. Then I got, then that's when I really got into NFTs, like July, started buying them, you know, published my blog, things like that. And I was trying to flip to get to a V friend. And I was able to make some nice flips and roll it in other NFTs, but it wasn't working the way I thought. It was too much risk. So frankly, my strategy now, I have my curio cards. I have some Chimodu photography. I'm going to mint a midnight movie club because I interviewed the founding team and I love, I love what they're doing on bought in. But other than that, like any NFT stuff for me is hold what I got. And then just whatever Gary V puts out pretty much without overspending, right? Like it's without yeah. overspending, but I think you're going to see consolidation. It's too hard to keep up with 15 projects in discord. The supply is going crazy. And I think people are just going to want to trust like, Hey, I think someone like Gary, now that's not to say there's not other great people out there, but I don't have the brain space to go, do all the homework I need before I can give them my money in exchange for the NFT. So John, you mentioned like connecting with OGs. What's an OG for people that like, they don't understand yeah. what, that, what that means. Yeah. So those are people who have been in the NFT space and it's going to sound funny, but it's around this time last year, it's only oh, been wow. a year. How are those people? Oh, so OGs? Just but, one but that's, they're at the forefront. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, okay. they're the ones who are around at the beginning and it's moved so fast that they've seen all the cycles. You have to be careful, right? You have to be absolutely, I would turn off DMs and Discord, just reach out to people in the chat. Hey, I'm new. I'm looking to learn about Curio. I'm looking to learn about NFTs. Who do you recommend that I follow? You can ask questions like that. I think that's really important. But I think that just do your research and be patient. Please also remember, this is a big mistake and I don't know why people are making it. When you buy an NFT, you don't own a share of a company. NFT projects cannot, I mean, this is where we get real tricky. And, and this is where I think things fall down and then build back up again once the infrastructure is in place. I think a lot of people think that I'm going to buy this NFT and the creator is going to drive up the price by doing certain activities. That would put it in the category of a security, which is regulated by the SEC. That is why with vFriends, you don't hold the IP. You don't get any profit or revenue sharing, right? It, Gary is smart. He's like, I'm not going to play around with that because you can get in big trouble and you can get really screwed. But I think course. a lot of people right now are buying NFTs thinking, you know, when Board Ape, like I, I love the project, they raise money. But I mean, besides my collectible owning the NFT, I'm not a shareholder in that business. They're going to build the business and make all the money, maybe ApeCoin and games and things like that. And I'll get rewarded as a holder in some way, but you're not getting a profit share what that is because they'll get regulated and it could be a big problem. You mentioned a few different projects, not only the VFriends, um, Board Ape as well. Let's say I have $5,000. Like it's my, it's my savings. I want to get into this. Like I'm serious. I want to buy my, my, like some NFTs. Besides those that you have listed, like as potential like options, obviously for those listening out there, this is not like a financial advice. There's no investment yeah. advice. It's just for informational purposes. How do I hear about the NFT project? Here's the thing. If you're hearing about a project on Twitter from influencers, it's too late. You have to do the work is the bottom line. There's no right answer. Like I'll just use this example. I follow Gary. And I knew that he was launching a book and he said you would get a gift in return for buying 12. So I bought 48 books. I got four NFTs. Nobody knew what they were going to be. They didn't even know they're going to be NFTs. And then he was talking about, hey, I got book games. They play forever, blah, blah, blah. So I just was accumulating more and more. And I'd, look, I think if you have $5,000, this is not financial advice. People need, like, I, I'm not going to, after this, I'm not going to recommend any specific projects because I just, 
I think that people need to do their homework. Um, I, I don't want anybody 100%. coming back to me, you know, saying, hey, you said this, you said that. But right now, up until April 5th, anybody who holds a book games token has a one token has a 26% chance of minting a V friend series two for a thousand dollars. I think book games are maybe book games are actually probably closer right now to, to $1,500, but it gets you that chance. So you might lose that chance and you don't get to mint one. And, and that's when people get mad at me. But again, book games are played forever. Daniel got hits. He's a great Twitter account to follow. And he's really good. He is really intuitive more so than I am about projects like, you know, he, like he's been talking about different things. I love his style. He researches the artist. How do you spell his Twitter <laughs> username? Just for those. Yeah, so it's just da- Daniel, like the name D-A-N-I-E-L-G-O-T, got, and then hits, H-I-T-S. And I think maybe he has a dot ETH. He's, re- I mean, look, I, I like him. I interviewed him uh, for an article for 1.37 p.m. So he's a really good guy. He's very transparent. And uh, I think he's got a real nice intuition on on projects. But again, like if you're buying because other people are telling you to buy, you're going to get burned. You you will. I mean, that that's what, everything I bought that someone else told me to buy that I see for myself didn't go well. So that's why even me telling you. But like, again, like there's some discords that I think you could join that you could learn a lot. I think V Friends is a really great one because a lot of people in there, they ask questions. You just have to keep your ear to the ground. That's why. You know, I did a bunch of interviews with people who have done really well in NFTs. Every single one of them, they were in the punks discord this time last year. And they're like, oh, I'm going to buy this project, this project. And they did get a little lucky being really early, but they were in the discord paying attention. I think that's the best thing you can do. Now, there's a lot more voices, though. There's a lot more experts, right? And that's where you have to be careful. Like, again, I love Board Ape. It's an awesome tone setter for the entire NFT industry. There's amazing holders. But if you have somebody who minted a Board Ape, you know, last year that's now worth 350,000 and they sell it. They're not a genius. Like they bought it and they held it, which is amazing, but that doesn't qualify them for the rest of the project. So if you're making decisions like, well, John owns a curio Apple, so he must know what he's doing. It's like, no, I just kind of stumbled into it. Made sense to me. Doesn't mean that I know more than other people. The market's always smarter. So that's always my advice. So John, like I downloaded discord um, last year. I'm part of the V friends discord and it can be overwhelming. There's like millions of be. messages. Like, how yeah. do you keep track of that? Like, or what yeah, people I mean, are saying? I mean, because you have like, I don't know, 10,000 people chatting at the same time. It's like a do. transcript. You do. Yeah. And that's why I think there's a lot of, a lot of tools that have come out now to, to help with that. Um, so it's funny. I built starwithnfts.com and then I built something called whenalphatext.io, W-E-N alphatext.io, where you could track wallets and get a text when they bought an NFT to try to cut that down. I was solving my own problem. Now, I'm very empathetic. Like Gary Vee is one of the wallets on there, right? And he said a bunch of times, don't buy what I buy, you know, protect yourself. And I don't want people to sign up for that and just say, oh, if Gary bought this, I'm going to buy it. If Steve Aoki bought it, I'm going to buy it. What it's meant to do is just say, hey, Gary just bought this. AJ just bought this. This person just bought this. Here's an interesting project. Go look into it. Do your own research to help you figure out what are people buying, right? But here's the thing is that if you are just buying what other people are buying, you're not going to make the most profit. You need to find out about it before nobody cares. And that is the hardest thing to do. That's why 99% of people should never invest in NFTs. Like, interesting. And I don't say never, but like 99% of the people listening to this, you, you, you really should not put your money into NFTs unless you're trying to learn and you're okay with losing it completely. Because 
it's so much harder. There's so much more supply. There's so many new messages. Like there are things that are obvious, like hate beast when it, you know, pre-reveal was nine ETH and now it's half an ETH that happened with Mechaverse that happened with Oni force. Like it's like, okay, here's the cycle again. You could definitely game the cycles, but there's so much information, so many projects, so much misinformation out there. And so many influencers saying this, saying that, like if you find something before anybody else, it's really hard to pull the trigger because you're going to think nobody cares about this. And then you're going to be stressed. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's when, like, that's when things are cheapest is the bottom line. Yeah. That's when people look, that's when people looked at land in Manhattan, like 150 years ago, you know? Yes. Cause people didn't know, like, or is anybody going to care about Manhattan in this new country? It's not developed. Like, Look at what it became like. Exactly. That's where it gets hard. And it's it's more like the entry costs more expensive now. ETH's going up. So I don't want to discourage anybody. I think if you should definitely learn about the space, it is to be here. But I think if you are thinking about this as an investment that is going to be income, that is going to be your retirement, 99% of you should not be thinking of it that way. The okay. 1% who can do it, kudos to you. But you. But again, here's what I learned. I said the biggest piece of advice, buy two of the NFT that you really believe in. If I had two curio card apples, we'd be in a very different situation now. Cause when it, when it, when it mooned, I didn't sell. Cause I'm like, I want this, but if I had two, I could have sold it when it came back down and done that game, but you need capital to get started. Like most of the time I knew somebody with $500 who turned it into 10 K with DeFi stuff, but use a 10 K. But most people right now, it's like, you're probably going to need a couple thousand bucks at least to be able to like get into it and do well. That's my only advice. John, let's say I have $5,000 now. I've saved up for for a year now. I have $5,000. You mentioned something about book games, V Friends. How many book games can I get for the for the $5,000? That's the first question. And then you said that I would only have a, a 26% chance to get yep. in on the project per yep. token. Does it matter which book game I get? Or what if I don't get into the V Friends too? Like... Have I completely lost my money or is this going to be worth something? No. no, I mean, look, you could probably buy up to three tokens right now with $5,000. Each one has a 26% chance. You could get three V friend zeros too, or you could get zero. And if you get zero, the value of your tokens is going to go down. And they're probably going to go down over the summer because Gary has already said in the discord for the people doing their homework, he's not going to talk about book games very much because he wants to test the patience of holders. This is the the challenge, right? Is if the question to me is, what is a quick flip? I don't have an answer. I, I don't know. If the question is, I have $5,000 and if it goes to zero, I won't lose an ounce of sleep, but I want to, but I want upside. Then yeah, I think book games is great, but you have to have the patience. Like if you, you might mint three or get the chance to mint three series to be friends for a thousand bucks each. I think you'll do very well on those on secondary. I think there's going to be a lot of hype, a lot of stuff. But the market could entirely crash. The global economy could crash and maybe, maybe not. I don't know, right? And then those tokens, like for me, again, like I will try to mint VFriend Series 2. I've got seven tokens because I exchanged five to get a VCon ticket. If I don't go to VCon, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to flip the ticket. I'm going to see, you know, and that's an, another dynamic. It's like, I probably will sell like maybe right before the artist announcement. I think that's when the hype will be the most. And then after the conference can always buy back in because I know it's going to be a good artist. I know Gary said that, but I'll probably use that proceeds to then go over to book games, get a couple more, see if I can get V friends series two minute, minute, a few of those if I can, 
But here's the thing. Everything I have in that ecosystem right now, if it all went to zero, I know that Gary could bring value you know, back to it, but I'm not going to be worried about it. It was a fun experiment. It kickstarted me starting my website. But if a lot of people out there are taking $5,000 out of their 401k or it's their last 5,000, again, I think go do more garage sailing or other things that make you happy to, to build more of a savings. Like you should have six months of savings, in my opinion, you know, just sitting there. Like I keep agree it separate. with that. Yeah, you know? I agree. John, what if I, I have these $5,000? Uh, I don't feel comfortable with these book game stuff. Can I still get into the BeFriends 2 later on? Or is this just yeah. for book games holders? There's going to be a public mint. This is, again, it's good teaching. You're paying $5,000 to learn a lot about NFTs. You know, a lot of projects now are doing allow lists where they say, hey, you're, you're on this allow list, which you can mint the NFT without gas wars. Okay, so gas is a fee that you pay for the computational power to verify your tra transaction on Ethereum. And if a lot of people are transacting, because Ethereum right now can only process something like 30, 30 transactions per second, it's not enough. So what happens? People bid up the gas and say, hey, if you process my transaction first, I'll pay a higher fee. So that $1,000 mint price, you know, in April 12th or whenever that's going to be, I think is going to be 2000 bucks. I think people are going to end up spending 3000 to mint on secondary. So you could do that. If you say, you know what? I don't want to screw around with book games. I don't want to take a chance. I just want to go fight the gas wars. You can do that, but you're probably going to end up paying more. So if I have a book games, which is about 1500, I get to keep that token and then I get to mint for a thousand. So I pay 2,500. And then gas, say gas is $2,000, I'd pay $3,000. So there's some savings there, but you might say, hey, that's just going to be my strategy. I understand. Okay. All right. Listen, I'm super conservative. Like, I don't know if I want to invest my $5,000 in, in NFTs. What's the difference of putting the money, like, for example, Bitcoin or Ethereum? What's the, what's the upside that we don't see in NFTs versus the classical cryptocurrencies. I mean, liquid liquidity, right? Like if you are buying an NFT project and it goes to zero and nobody wants it, you're dead in the water. I mean, that's another major risk I think people really overlook. I'm learning this with taxes and I'm not a tax expert, uh, meaning with my accountant today. But if you buy an NFT and it goes to zero, I don't think you can write that off. I don't think you can write it off as losses until you sell it because then you sell it and you take the difference and, and there's that. So that's a mistake I made last year is like I had NFTs that kind of go to zero and I didn't sell them so I could take the loss. And that, that really, I mean, that, that hurt. So again, there's, there's nuance here. That's why more and more as, as we're talking, like I am afraid for the people that aren't, that are putting money in that they, that they can't afford to lose or they're not properly understanding how the taxes work. Cause say you, say you mint V friend series two and you profit $30,000 and you flip that into another NFT but you don't sell that NFT or it goes to zero, you are on the hook for that $30,000 of income. That's see, rough. Yeah. You got to pay your income tax rate. That is not fun. Again, not financial advice. I'm not an accountant. Talk to an accountant. But those are things I don't think people are thinking about. So with something like Ethereum or Bitcoin, you know, those I think are, they're liquid. I mean, unless suddenly the world wakes up and says, I don't want to buy any Bitcoin. They're liquid. And that's why an NFT is a, an extremely risky investment because, you know, Billy Bob's Moondog, this, that could go to zero and it's not liquid. Ethereum could go to $500, but you can still get money out if you bought it. Whereas the NFT, it could actually go to zero and you're not getting any money out. And 
you aren't even going to be able to sell it to take to do the difference of, hey, I bought it at this, sold it at that. I took yeah. a loss on it. I see and that. That's, that's I see tough. what you mean. Yep. I see what you mean. So what about the future of NFTs? Like, because we have seen how the market has grown, you said just from last yeah. year, like March. How do you see brands like in companies like like my own company, Absolute Internship? We serve yeah. college students and high school students and selling them international internship programs around the world yeah. and online. How could we like benefit from this? How could we help our customers benefit from an NFT? That's the right question to ask is, is how can we use NFTs to benefit our customers? Exactly. That's, the most That's my thing. question. So, so every, every brand, right? Like every brand right now is probably thinking about the metaverse. The interesting thing about the metaverse, we don't know what it's going to look like yet. We don't know if there's going to be multiple of them. It might be farther out than we actually think. And really it's, it's already here. We live online. It might look different, but like we have some kind of metaverse where you're showing stuff off that you bought that you think is cool. So something like Adidas, it's like, oh, wow, I can get the sweet, rare Adidas track jacket in my metaverse. Same thing with like Fortnite skins. Like people are going to want that. People are going to buy that stuff. So as a brand, like you can do some, like you need to understand your customer, first of all. So for someone like Adidas, if your younger generation is coming up on the metaverse and they actually want that sweet track jacket for their character in a video game, which way more of the world sees than their seven classmates in first grade. That's an angle to think about that, right? So that's one thing where they, you can bring your customers value and you can make money as well. If you are a different type of brand, maybe you're, maybe you're a personal brand or like, what, look at what Gary Vee does. Like he does FaceTimes. He's doing a conference. It reduces friction in a lot of ways too. Like maybe you have a conference, maybe holding an NFT token gets a person a one-on-one with you or a free trip out here, you know, to, to like your location or something like that. Like you can do a lot of exchange with verification of the NFT token versus just putting it on. Because here, here's the thing. If you sold me, if you were going to try to sell a $5,000 one-on-one meeting with you, just thinking about absolute internship, maybe, maybe it's consulting, resume services. I don't know if that's the direction that you're going. If you sold that to me, I have it. I can't resell that if something comes up. I can't that's use right. it when I want. Like I buy that's it right. and I just go like I that's unappealing. However, if you sell that as an NFT and I'm thinking, you know, I might want this, but in case I don't, I could always sell it to somebody else who's probably going to want it. That's a um, huge that's a huge benefit for you. You know, let's say you change your mind, you know. Massive. Yeah. And beyond the future like I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's a big it's 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 weird because in a lot of ways it's a simple technology, but it's really complex, right? Like it's simple in that. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking from a tax purposes, like how we would like like report this to the authorities and like how would we get paid? Obviously, some type of cryptocurrency, like whatever we're choosing, you know. Well, that's so that's what where it's like you could list it on OpenSea and it, and then you you get paid in Ethereum and there's converting it and things like that. But yeah, I, so. When I did research on the dot-com bubble to compare it to NFTs, I think a lot of people are also missing this. A lot of people have said, you know, the companies in the dot-com bubble, they were bad business ideas. Now, they were over-leveraged like crazy. They were buying Super Bowl ads when they shouldn't, when they didn't have the money. But the real pain point and the real reason a lot of those companies failed is because the infrastructure wasn't yet there to support their business model. You know, I pets.com, 
Like we have Chewy.com and they're a billion dollar business and they seem to be doing well. But Pets.com, they didn't have the cloud. They didn't understand customer acquisition costs because we didn't have all this tracking. There was a version, there was grocery delivery that uh, you know existed. Like a lot of the ideas that we see today were actually hatched and executed in early 2000s. But the yeah, problem but the market was that, wasn't ready, right? No, not even that the market wasn't ready. Like people were actually buying stuff. Like a lot of people say like, oh, well, no one's going to buy online. Like, like the, I forget what the name of that grocery delivery company was, but people were using it. Like people were okay. using it. They had expanded. But the problem was, A, they weren't, uh, the people who founded it didn't understand the grocery business. But B, like think about how easy it is to get a website stood up today. WordPress, you could literally do it in two minutes and have a website. Think about cloud storage, right? So pets.com, they, they had to have servers on site to store their data because the cloud didn't exist yet. And it was expensive. You have Calendly, you've got Zoom. There's all this business infrastructure that wasn't there. So what I think is going to happen is you are actually going to see more infrastructure form around NFTs. You're going to see SECs uh, take a position on NFTs and I don't know what's going to happen with that. Maybe they can become a security that are regulated and you can do profit sharing. That change, To me, that changes the game completely. I think you're going to see better platforms to authenticate artists so that if you're trying to avoid rug pulls, I think you're going to see more arrests. Like we did see a rug pull where somebody launched a project, disappeared, took the $6 million. And I think him, you know, the two brothers, they're going to go to jail probably. So I think you're going to see more of that. I think you're going to see better research platforms. I think you're going to see you know, apps that allow you to use your NFT to scan it in a McDonald's and get your free monthly burger. We just don't have the infrastructure. And if you think about it, 2001, when did the cloud come out? When did the iPhone come out? Like five, six years. I think the five to 10 year mark from, from around this moment or maybe from last year is where it gets really interesting because you're going to see the infrastructure and the use cases explode. And it might take away from its original point of, hey, the artist, the art, this and that. It might straight up be like when I go to an Eagles game, I got my NFT, you know, super exciting times coming ahead. And I understand what you're saying. We'll see like what type of infrastructure is around the NFTs and how that's going to be built. Yep. Exciting times. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show, John. Yeah. Thank you so uh, much. My mind is like filled about sports cards, <laughs> stats, uh, NFTs cryptocurrency. I'm sure our, our audience have learned a lot too. John, Absolutely. where can people find you to learn more about you online? Yeah. I mean, look, start with nfts.com, right? That that's that contextually that that is for NFT articles. You can find me J O N T O R R E Y on Twitter. I think it's just J O N underscore T O R R E Y. I added dot ETH to my name, try to be a cool kid. You can find me on LinkedIn, right? Like if you're, if you're, if you're listening and you're like, oh, you started a business. How did you do that? Find me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Tory. Reach out, send me a DM. It sometimes it takes me a little while, but I try to get back to everybody. I appreciate that, John. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank care. you, man. I appreciate it. A lot of gratitude for listening to Fika with Bryce. I really mean that. If you like the show, I would love if you can leave us a five-star review, whatever you're listening to your podcast. It helps us so much to get the word out there to other listeners. If you have any questions or any feedback, I would love to hear from you. I'm just a DM away on Instagram or TikTok at Freddy Van Hyun. So looking forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you so much.